anything could happen at any time and change everything. Anytime you go out on your own, you take on risk. And to me, that risk looks like the tightrope. Like a tightrope walker, I'm always staying sharp. I'm always looking ahead. I'm always keeping my balance. I'm always looking in the right direction. As long as you stay balanced and you stay focused and look forward, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it to the end. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I have the pleasure of having Aaron Halper with me today. Aaron, how are things in New Jersey? In New Jersey, well, today it's sunny. I'm actually facing a beautiful sunny window, but we are also back to school next week, which means it's not back to school. <laughs> it's back to virtual school. So it is the craziest time. It is like absolutely a circus over here, but otherwise all is awesome in New Jersey. Awesome. So how can the listeners get in contact with you if they love what you have to share with us? Well, that is so funny. You asked that at the beginning. I love that you asked that at the beginning because everyone always asks that at the end. Well, our website is betheupside.com. It's B-E, the upside. Our Instagram account is be the upside. They're the same. We have two great free downloads on the homepage that people can download. We have contact information, email information. If anyone wants to get in touch, DM me on Instagram, contact me through the website, whatever format works best for you. Awesome. So what's the upside? Why do you want to be the upside? Let's just dive in. I'm curious. Why does one want to be the upside? So (laughs) one wants to be the upside because the upside is always the positive result of an investment. And when I think about the upside and why I wanted to name the company the upside, why anyone would want to be the upside, we're asking people to invest in themselves. Our company is designed to help consultants advance their business and thrive. And so what we're asking people to do is instead of betting on their employer, they're betting on themselves. They're investing in themselves, not full-time employment. And that's the upside, our business. That got a big smile out of me. So how did you get to this place where you make this place a bet on yourself? Because everybody knows that you're supposed to get good grades so that you can get in a good college, so that you can get a good job, and you can pay bills for 40 years and then take two-week vacations a year and die. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, look, there's nothing wrong with that. and that is great for a lot of people. And that provides a great life for a lot of people. But then there's quite a lot of people who are really unhappy in that corporate world, on that corporate treadmill, 
hamster wheel, however you want to call it. And by the way, our lives change decade to decade. So, you know, maybe our 20s, it's great because we have all this energy and we're meeting new colleagues and we're going out to, for drinks after work and that seems all good. And then maybe in our 30s, some people start to have families and now they don't want to go to drinks after work. And now they are more concerned about being home for dinner and tucking their kids into bed and having better balance. As we evolve, our needs evolve, and yet the corporate system and the corporate structure stays the same. A lot of people decide, you know, they say, I want to go out on my own. I love this idea of being my own boss, but how do I do that? And what does it look like? And I've worked so hard. I've gotten the good grades, gotten to a good school. I worked at some of the best companies. I can't throw that all away. And you shouldn't because if you launch your own consultancy, you get to hold on to all those skills, all that pedigree, all of that counts for something when you're packaging it into a consultancy practice. And yet you still get all the benefits of being your own boss. So it's this perfect hybrid of not losing anything you've built to date, being able to leverage and activate your own network and your skills and everything you've done to date. And yet you still get to be your own boss and have control of your own schedule and everything else that comes along with being your own boss. Sounds like there's a grab for control there. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means or why it's important. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How'd you end up in this place where you're encouraging people to be the upside? Ooh, well, I, um, we'll just take it back about 10-ish mm, years. We won't go back all the way. We'll go back about a decade. I was in my 30s, early 30s, and I was pregnant with my first son. And we I was working in private equity. I had a great real estate private equity job. I loved my business. I loved, I loved my career. I loved the people I worked with. I loved my boss. I would have changed nothing about it. I loved it. But then at the 20-week ultrasound, we found that there was a problem with the baby. Today, he is a healthy, happy, perfectly great nine-year-old. But at 20 weeks pregnant, we weren't even sure if we could have that baby. There were so many problems. And we knew he would need a lot of doctor's appointments. He would need surgeries. And I was like, there is just, it was hard enough working and being pregnant and figuring out how I'm going to manage all of that. And now this extra layer on top, I was like, there is just no way I can hold a full-time high-level job, be pregnant with a child that's going to need doctor's appointments every week and surgeries and everything else that went along with it. So without knowing any better, I launched a consultancy. I didn't know anyone else doing it. And I just didn't know it would be difficult. And so it wasn't. And yeah, I stumbled and learned a little bit along the way, but it wasn't a struggle for me overall. It just came very naturally to me, and I learned from some of the mistakes I made early on. I was able to have total flexibility, take care of my son. I ended up having my second son during that consultancy, those consultancy years. I had amazing clients. I made high six-figure income working when, where, and how I wanted. 
I moved twice, buried a parent, all these life changes that require flexibility and that usually stress people out. I was able to flex and scale as my business as I needed it and nothing skipped a beat. I was always making my full-time salary or more working fewer hours than I did before. It was a no-brainer. And then what happened was after seven or eight years doing that, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends were having kids and they were saying, ooh, like this looks perfect. How do I do that? And of course, I, I advised them. And I was like, oh, this is what you do. This is what you charge. Da, da, da. And after doing that dozens of times and having them all come back and say, oh my God, I, I took your advice and I just landed my first six-figure client or my first five-figure a month project or you've changed my life. This is amazing. I said, you know what? I've got something here. I know what I'm doing and I'm going to create a business around helping people do this the right way because there really, there is no college course on how to do this. It doesn't exist. And so I've had to create that from scratch, which I have, and it's actually launching in October. It's launching October of 2020. But to have that soup to nuts, this is how you do it the right way the first time to get all those benefits that everyone wants without having to throw away what you've worked so hard to build. Yeah. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I am X. And I'm like, no, you're X plus whatever else you want to add into that. And you just have to present it the right way to people. I've got a hunch. I don't know if it's true or not. Was when you left the first time that you thought about leaving your W-2? Yes. I had not thought about doing it before. I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I, I always, and I had tried a few times over the years in my 20s to start different businesses out on my own. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur eventually, but I really liked where I worked. I would have changed nothing about it. It's just that my circumstances and my life changed and my needs changed and I had to make a change. Otherwise, I, you know, how was I going to take care of this baby? And the fact of the matter is, I couldn't just start a business because that's more than full-time hours. You can't start a business and, you know, expect to work flexible hours. It's, a lot to have a startup. So I knew I couldn't go in that direction. I needed to do something in between. And that's why consulting is so magical because it's, you're not an employee, but you're also not taking on the risk or the hours of a startup, of an entrepreneur. It's that perfect middle ground where you get all the benefits of being an entrepreneur, flexibility, control of your own schedule, you know, being your own boss. But you don't have to do it for someone else. It's that perfect blend. So who showed up to help you along the way? Because, I mean, this is a big shift. Oh, yeah. It's a big, big shift. When I went out on my own consulting, God, there was one person I knew of who was consulting. One person in a totally different space. She was in accounting. And she gave me some advice. And that advice was really, really great. I wish I'd had even more advice. But at the time, that's all I had. Facebook was barely even a thing. So crowdsourcing was not really something people did a lot back then. 
We didn't have the online communities we have today. So it was really just in-person networking. I didn't know people doing this. Her name is Amy Pearson. She helped me when I first started consulting. And then when I went out on my own from consulting to launching the upside to help other consultants and help them succeed and thrive, I stumbled upon just serendipity. I had posted something on Facebook. A random stranger replied. We started messaging each other and laughing and connected very, very deeply. And she said to me, and this was like a few months after I started my business, she said, you really should join Dreamers and Doers. And I was like, what's that? And when she explained it to me, I was like, oh, that sounds really, really neat. And I applied, I got accepted, I joined. And I, I have to say, Geisha Haas, who is the leader of this company, she's the founder and CEO of Dreamers and Doers, she became a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, and her leadership, her humility, her guidance was a game changer for my business. And her value system really helped me frame how I wanted to build my own business. So I would say, I would give her a lot of credit. And then not to be cheesy, but my husband, he runs his own business, totally different type of thing than what I do or what I ever even did in the past, totally different business. And he's been in that business for 25 years. So he hasn't been in the startup world in a long, long time. His advisory, he, he, just he has been my biggest cheerleader and has given me so much high level advice that there's a reason why I think legally he owns 50% of this company. <laughs> I think on paper, he might own half of this company and he deserves it. He's given me a ton of advice and guidance. And I know spouses can't necessarily be considered mentors, but if they could, he would also be a mentor of mine. Why can't they be mentors? I don't know. I think it's like, isn't it implied? Isn't it like part of the job description, spouse support system? Well, maybe it is, but the vast majority of people that I know don't have that support. They are doing it on their own and end up paying people to get that support because it doesn't exist at home. And one of my favorite movies to reference where, you know, it's a real thing is like the pursuit of happiness, right? Uh, the main character is tells his wife he's going to be a stockbroker. And she says, oh, well, why don't you just go be an astronaut in the most dismissive way that I've ever heard somebody have their dreams killed. And so, yeah, I, I wish that support was that way, but I don't think that it is. I think it's actually more rare or uncommon for that to happen than the other way around, especially like after kids and like, you know, a number of years into the relationship, maybe when you first start out and it's cool and everything's exciting. But once you get to know each other, I'm trying to pick my words on this one because I think we teach people who we are and then we have this grand idea and we've got to become something else than what we are in order to fulfill it. And if they've seen us not change consistently, just because by proximity, they're closest to us, they know that it's not going to work if you like don't have consistent effort or some of the other things that are necessary to build something from scratch. So I, I think you're very fortunate and maybe he gets a big hug later on. Well, he also knew when we met, I mean, 
I made it very clear that I was always going to work, you know, that if you'd like someone who's going to be a stay-at-home mom or, and I admire stay-at-home moms, it has nothing to do with that. It's that I knew myself well enough to know that I, I love working. So I was like, I, I have to work. I love working. It's very fulfilling. It's how I identify who I am. Like my work is part of such a big piece of who I am. And I also said, I'm going to start a business one day and I need to know that you are going to be okay with that and you'll be supportive of that. Like I made it very clear. Like I did not pull out any surprises on him. He always knew that that was part of who I am. And I talked to him about the business launches and failures I had in the past before I ever met him. And I'm like, and I will do it again, hopefully not failing the next time, but I will do it again. And you need to be on board with that type of wife. And he was like, no, I think that's awesome. And, and he fulfilled that promise of supporting me. I love it. I think support is one of the most important things in a relationship. Let's go through the red pill moment. When did you realize you had to keep going and like there was no turning back? Ooh, that's a really great question. And my answer is probably a little more methodical than most people's. When I first started The Upside, I had my head screwed on straight because I wasn't in it yet. You know, once you get in it, you can't see the forest through the trees. You can't see anything. You're just in it, in it, in it. So before I got to that point where I couldn't see the forest through the trees, when I first, first started, I said to myself and to my mentors and my friends and my people, I said, I think putting my business model and business plan and entrepreneur hat on I think this business is going to take three years before it becomes what I want it to become. And I'm telling everyone right now, because if I put it out there, I have to answer to all of you. I will not give up no matter what for three years, no matter what. And when things got hard, which was, I'd say like 12 to 16 months in, things got rocky. Because the original business model was matching clients and consultants, and it didn't work. I'm really good at business development. I'm really good at getting clients, and that's most people's biggest pain point. So I said, oh, okay, I'll do that, make a cut of every deal, and all you have to do is show up and be awesome and do your awesome work. But what I learned was a few things. Number one, that doesn't help them grow their business. I was actually just giving them a Band-Aid because then when those projects were done, they were coming back and saying, okay, now what do you have for me? I was like, are you kidding me? I just gave you like an $80,000 project. Like that's supposed to get you started and now you're coming back. I realized they didn't know how to talk about themselves, write about themselves, position themselves. They didn't know how to run a consultancy practice. So they were kind of just bit by bit freelancers. And if they're coming to me for clients and they don't know how to get clients on their own, well, they don't have a business because that's the difference between a business owner and an employee. A business owner has to get clients. I don't care what, if you're a plumber or a consultant, if you don't know how to get your own clients, that's why you stay an employee. That's the whole purpose of being an employee. It's because you don't know how to get business. So I saw that that was a problem. I felt like I wasn't helping anybody by doing that. 
And it was just super frustrating. But I said, you know what? I had said three years. I'm sticking with it. This stinks. I don't feel good about it. I'm going to take a week off and just do nothing. And then I'm jumping back in. I'm reorganizing this business and changing the, the model. And I did and kept on going. And now the, after doing that, the momentum just went really, really, really quickly. But having that benchmark ahead of time when my head was still screwed on straight was absolutely what got me through. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Man, this is awesome because most people, when they get started, like they stumble, they bumble, they fall down and hit their head. I mean, were there any challenges along the way where you're like, okay, I can get through this. And then something else shows up. And for me, I've just had so many along the way. It's just like, there's got to be something that was challenging. And if you're willing to share any of those, how'd you overcome each one? Oh my God. I mean, how long is this podcast? I could talk about the, I could give you a million of those stories. It's like whack-a-mole. I mean, literally it's like, just what you said, it's like you solved one thing and then another one pops up and rears its ugly head. I could literally talk about this for hours. I can tell you just a few things, you know, number one, this was back before in the old business model, you know, there was a corporate client that was like, yes, 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 yes. We nurtured this corporate client for weeks and weeks. And it was all yes, 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 yes. And then at the very end, he said, yeah, we decided to go with an agency. Like a, it was for a PR consultant. Oh, we decided to go with a small PR firm instead. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, but I, I'm grateful for that conversation now because it was part of what it was one of the biggest triggers to reworking our business model. If it hadn't been for him and that frustration that I experienced after talking to him and trying to work with him, I maybe wouldn't have gone this way. A lot of, listen, operations, automations, tech, that has been just the source of constant frustration for me because it's constantly changing. You need it to create efficiencies super frustrating. You know, there's always crazy people. I don't care what business you're in. You're in multifamily real estate. So, you know, I mean, there's always the crazies and once in a while you get a crazy and I have just come to the conclusion that you just give them their money back. You don't argue. You don't say it's not, there's nothing of principle. I'm like, thank you very much. Bye-bye. But it took me a couple of stumbles to learn that lesson because I was like, no, the refund policy is this. And she knew that and blah, 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 blah. And then my husband's like, Aaron, you're, you're talking with crazy. Like this person is obviously not normal to be asking for a refund for something she's already experienced. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And that happens very, very rarely. But these are the stumbles and these are the things that you know, make you frustrated. And every entrepreneur has these people and has these moments with a client that bails out last minute or a crazy customer that wants, you know, 
something special or it takes up all your time. I mean, there's always that. I don't care what business you're in. There's always going to be those people. But on the flip side of all of that and to balance it all out, every time I got like a crazy person, I would get 10 glowing testimonials out of nowhere. People saying, oh, I know you didn't ask me for a testimonial, but I'm just so happy about what you've done for me and how my life looks now that I met you. I never could have done it without you. And it just balances it all out in the end. It does. And I think the ratio is right. I think you do need like 10 good things for every one bad thing just because of the way that we're wired. Was there ever a point when everything was on the line for you? It's always been on the line. And when you say on the line, that means there's a line and on one side is what life looks like and on the other side is what the other life looks like. So on one side, my life looks like I run my own company. It's growing. It helps hundreds, if not thousands of people change their lives and change their careers and have financial stability and happiness. I have work-life balance. I get to spend lots of times with my kids. I get to work where I want, when I want, control my schedule. So that's one side of that line you're talking about. The other side of the line is, ooh, I don't have a business. I want to work, so what am I doing? Do I start something else? Do I go back to a full-time job? Do I consult again? It all feels like going backwards, to be honest. Every of those options feels like a step backwards. I don't want to take a step backwards. So when you say, was everything on the line? Did it feel like everything on the line? The whole time, even today, everything's on the line. When is it not on the line? Because if this doesn't succeed, if this doesn't get to where I want it to be, and it is successful. When I say successful, I mean, you know, I'm making a full-time salary. The business is healthy. It's profitable, of course. But you want the next step too. You know, you want it, to, you want to grow it and grow it. You don't, you know, entrepreneurs don't want to stay in the same place. So yes, the line is always there and I don't think it'll ever go away because what happens if I go on the other side of the line? Those are not options I want. So what gives you certainty? Because like that just seems like you're walking a tightrope, right? Like at what point do you get to rest or get to sit down or I mean, are you always kind of teetering? I don't teeter, but I do walk the tightrope because look at COVID, look at what's happened. I mean, anything could happen at any time and change everything. Anytime you go out on your own, you take on risk. And to me, that risk looks like the tightrope. And as long as you know how to walk a tightrope, you're okay. There's plenty of people who do that very well, including me. Not literally, but in the business sense. So I don't ever feel like I'm teetering. I never feel like I'm like sometimes over on the bad side, sometimes over on the winning side. It's just that like a tightrope walker, I'm always staying sharp. I'm always looking ahead. I'm always keeping my balance. I'm always looking in the right direction. It's a great analogy that you brought up because it really is like that all the time. And as long as you stay balanced and you stay focused and look forward, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it to the end. I love it. The balance piece and the focus, right? You got to pick your point and just watch that the whole way. That's how you keep from falling off. If you look down and you see how far you can fall. Oh no, don't look down. Don't look down. (laughs) Because, you know, a lot of people, I think they miss this point. Like 
once you get to a certain level, there is no net. And I was having this conversation with some of my real estate buddies. They're like, oh, yeah, well, you don't want to be in class C apartments right now because those are the lower income earners and they're more likely to lose their job, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, but they have a net. Like if they're getting $600 a month, more than likely, that's a good portion of their income. If you have somebody that's a six-figure earner and they get that same $600, it's not going to do anything for them. And so you really need to make sure that you kind of understand like when you're going to go to great heights. And I like the story of Icarus, right? He flew too close to the sun, the wings melted, et cetera, et cetera. You just got to be careful about that. And I'm not saying that anybody shouldn't achieve all they can. What I am saying, though, is that if you fall, just know that it may be a harder fall than some other people would experience because they're not achieving at that high of a level. You said something that was really interesting. You said it feels like going backwards when you talked about consulting or going back and getting a job. Has there been anything along the way that's tried to pull you back into the old way? Never. Never. Um, No, nothing's ever tempted me or pulled me back. Nobody called you and said, Aaron, we've got to have you back. I didn't say nobody called. I just said nothing has pulled me back. I have gotten calls, but to me, that's going back. It's like going from being a director to uh, an associate. You know, it's just, it's going backwards for me. To me, the natural progression from here would be to scale even bigger and to eventually, you know, sell a company. Isn't that to exit? You know, that's the ultimate goal. And then consult on a high, such a high level that you can truly just do a couple hours a day and be done. And you brought up a word that I think is really interesting. You talked about before about achieving, achieving more, achieving, achieving. I think it's so important for people to define what they feel is achievement. Because to most people, kind of the basic default is money you know, achieving a certain number, achieving a certain income, achieving a certain amount of, for you, you know, maybe properties. Not everyone defines achievement in that way. So for me, when you say, you know, you talk about Icarus and the sun and achieving more, to me, achieving more is helping more people, getting more positive testimonials because people achieved a lot for themselves. That's how I value achievement. And my husband taught me that, by the way, because I kept saying, oh, my numbers, my numbers in the first year. He's like, Aaron, just stop with your numbers. Stop trying to reach certain numbers. Just try to help as many people as possible and let that be what you consider, how you define success and achievement. And when I shifted my mindset from numbers and benchmarks and dollars to people and helping people and growing the community in that way, first of all, it helped me sleep at night and helped me stay focused on that tightrope. And second of all, it grew my company. Delivering value will grow the company every single time without question because you're offering something that people can't get anywhere else. Before we leave this point, I really think there's value here and you've been laser focused. So you answered it really quickly. But then you thought about it and you came back and you said, yeah, I got calls. I call it going into the desert and then turning around. A lot of people walk out into the desert. The desert is building their thing and they start going and then they start sweating 
And then somebody calls them and you're like, hey, why don't you come back over here in the air conditioner? And so they turn around and they go back or they go and the bank's account starts to dwindle down and they turn around and go back because they don't think they have enough provisions to make it all the way across. And then there's some people who get laser focused. They decide where they're going and then they just keep going and they don't ever, they might get the, they might see the phone ring. They decide not to answer it. They may get a little low on water, but they say, we'll just tough it out or we'll move through the night. Talk to me a little bit about how you handle those people who are, maybe it's not just people, but trying to lure you back into the thing that you'd already done and had success with. I had dreamt about growing a business since I was a little girl. I have been reading business magazines, the business section of the newspaper, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, Wired, before people my age were doing that. You know, before I was even working, when I was in high school, I was doing that. I was obsessed, obsessed. And I never wanted to look back with regret. You know, getting married and having children was probably my biggest goal in life. And I have done that. I have a beautiful family. I am living an amazing, wonderful life with a wonderful family, which has fulfilled my top dream. But second to that was not only launching a company, but building it, scaling it, and having impact, positive impact, having something to leave behind, leaving an impression, a positive impression on people. That was really important to me. And it had never had anything to do with money. So for me, the thought of going into my 50s and 60s, having not accomplished that, to be able to look back and go, I never achieved that dream, that goal. And quite honestly, Jerome, I have every opportunity, like I have the best of circumstances. I have a spouse who has an income. Not everyone has that. I live in a house. You know, I am outside of New York City where I have access to many organizations and communities and clubs and companies and networks. I have everything going for me. So I have no excuses. It's, there's zero excuses. It would, the failure would land on me and me alone. And I just, that is not an option for me. And I know it's such a cliche phrase, failure is not an option, but there's a reason why that phrase exists. Because people like me, failure is not an option. This is it. Like I'm in my 40s. I'm not going to start a new business in my 50s. I, that's just like, I'm not doing that. I just know I will not have any steam left after this. This has to work above all else. I love it. The certainty, the clarity. And I think that's the difference between the people who make it and don't is the clarity, right? What is the biggest difference with how you live your life today versus what you were doing when you were in corporate America? Well, look, when I was in corporate America, the first part I was in my 20s, learning, growing, living in New York City, paying high rents, trying to get by, scraping by, ramen noodles, the whole thing. That was my 20s. And then I got a big break in my late 20s where I quadrupled my salary in one jump. And that was a game changer. That was a game changer. And doing that gave me freedom and just like let me live for the first time in so long 
And then my 30s, I was having a family. I was starting my family and that changes everything. Having kids changes everything when it comes to your career, especially for women, especially for women. So I started looking at my career as, I would say I looked at it more like they're lucky to have me rather than I'm grateful for the opportunity. I looked at it like I've achieved a lot to date and now I don't have time for all of you anymore. So my time is precious. And that's really what it comes down to, right? It's time. You know, my time is precious. And whoever gets a piece of me is lucky versus I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. Oh, thank you for letting me leave at five o'clock. Thank you for letting me go to a doctor's appointment at 10. I was like, no, I just like left. I don't have to tell you I'm going, I have a doctor's appointment. I'm a human being, you know, like I just had a different perspective about work because I had a ton of confidence in my value and my contribution. I think people undervalue themselves and they teach the world to undervalue them as well. So I appreciate you saying that. That's super meaningful for me. What are you most grateful for? Oh, gosh. Jerome, I have been practicing gratitude almost my entire life. And I stumbled upon it by accident because I was a little kid who had a lot of trouble falling asleep at night. And I would stay up for hours just staring at the ceiling and I just, my mind was racing. And I I grew up in South Carolina. All my friends were church going Christians. I'm Jewish. They said to me, why don't you say nightly prayers? And I did not know what that is because Jews don't do that. And, or, well, you know, mainstream Jews don't do that. And I said, nightly prayers, what does that look like? And I just started as I was lying down to bed, I just started saying, okay, dear God, I'm thankful for, and just started, I mean, this is like eight, nine years old. And I've been doing that every single night since I was a little kid. And because I've done that, my mindset about life, my mindset about love, business, it's all shaped around gratitude because I, like a muscle, I've just been exercising it my whole life. What am I most grateful for? Again, my husband, I, I have to say, like, I, I, I mean, I couldn't, my whole life is him. My whole life is our marriage and relationship. And, and maybe we're a little bit obsessed with each other in a, an un- unnatural way, but we really prioritize each other. I get excited every time I hear the door open. Every single day when he comes home, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. I can't spend enough time with him. I just love being around him. And so, and because he's also my biggest cheerleader and he brings out the absolute best in me, both personally and professionally, I'm just extremely grateful for him. He's going to smile when he hears this. He knows all of this, Jerome. He, I t- but that's the whole point is I tell him these things and he tells me the same, you know, it, it's, we help each other in business. We laugh a lot, a lot. We laugh at ourselves. We laugh. It's just, this is what I'm most grateful for. And if everything else fell apart, if I still had him, I would be still a grateful person. Yeah. I'm going to cut that part out. That's going to be my clip. <laughs> <laughs> so 
What dream are you most focused on catching next? Well, I already talked about the dream of just helping as many people as possible. That's really my dream. At this point in my life, I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm not in my 30s anymore. At this point in my life, it's less about the things we think about in our 20s and 30s, you know, making a ton of money and being famous, being on the cover of a magazine. I don't care about any of that stuff anymore. I really just care about helping as many people as possible. And that is the dream that I'm trying to catch. After this chapter, let's say maybe 10 years from now, if, if and when this chapter does close, eventually it will. I'm not going to be 60 running the upside. My dream is to be a painter. What's a painter? Painter, an artist. Oh, okay. I got it. So two questions left. But before I do that, I just want to affirm you for being a dream catcher. Like, you made all the scary choices. And on the backside of them, you still have so much conviction about the decisions that you made. And I think you've also done it in a space where it's predominantly men. And I think that in and of itself shows how courageous you are and how you've decided that the construct doesn't really matter. You're comfortable being the glitch in the matrix. And because of that, I think you being that anomaly makes you someone who other people can look to for inspiration. So just wanted to tell you thank you for coming on and sharing your story and inspiring me and all the folks who are here this along the way. Final two, what gift are you giving the world? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on and letting me tell my story. I appreciate that. And to answer your question, the gift of flexibility. Tell me more about that. The gift of flexibility, because that is the number one reason why people want to leave the corporate nine to five, because it is just not flexible at all. And people are tired of it because their lives don't fit into that nine to five box anymore. It's been the same structure for 80 years. And yet we've changed and evolved so much. Technology has evolved so much. And yet we're still expected to go in at 8.30 and leave at 6.30. And how do you have a life like that? If it truly was nine to five, it wouldn't be so bad. But it's never that. And now with technology, which by the way, corporate culture has not caught up with the evolution of technology. One day, people will look back, maybe my children's generation will go, wow, I can't believe you guys used to like email and stuff after work hours. You used to like sit in your beds and like email with work stuff. Just because we can do it doesn't mean we should be doing that. You know what I mean? I agree 3,000%. I think it's very much spaghetti and not meatloaf and potatoes, right? I think, and I don't even go for balance. I go for integration because I think we impact the other. And I think people have to be aware of that. And I think also the, not only does like the work have to be flexible, but the family has to be flexible. We might not be able to do it at that time if it's just us. We can adjust just a little bit. But, you know, if there's a game that's happening for a kid, and you want to be there for that game? I think work can flex a little bit, but you know, then there could be that meeting with that person that you can only meet at that time and blah, 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 blah. So 
I think your way is the way of the future because we're able to, you know, do it with less overhead. We can coordinate fewer schedules. And in that by itself, I think we create flexibility because we're not beholden to so many different stakeholders. Yes. And of course, you know, I have to make it clear. We're talking about corporate jobs, obviously in person. I mean, you employ people, you know, there's certain jobs that you have to be physically there. There is no flexibility, of course. I'm only talking about jobs that are less physical in nature and more um, intellectual in nature. Without question. And so the final question, Erin, is what's the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation? That they can have the confidence to go out and be their own boss if they want to. It's just a matter of finding the mentorship, the teacher, the leader, the tools or the resources to help guide you there. But anyone can do it if they want to do it. There is a business model out there for everyone, whether it's a low-hanging, low-risk model like consulting, or you want to have your own venture-backed startup, that's your choice. But everyone can do it if they want to. Aaron, thank you for a phenomenal interview. I look forward to deepening our relationship and we'll get to talk soon. You as well. Thank you, Jerome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.